Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and my guest for this episode is Chris Hallam. Chris, welcome to the book club. Thank you very much, Eamon. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Now, you're a first-time guest, and first-time guests always get to tell us their 2000 AD origin stories. Uh, tell us about your first experiences with comics and the prog in particular. Uh, well, I, was, I was born round about the same time as 2000 AD itself, funny enough. I was born, I was only a few weeks old when the first 2000 AD came out, so I wasn't really in a position to be a prog winner. I was a bit, would have been a bit young to appreciate it. I was only a few weeks old, but... As a child in the 1980s, I, I loved all the funny comics, basically. It took me a little while to get into 2000 AD. I read, uh, I mean, there's so many comics in those days. There was Wizard and Chips and Buster and, as you remember, and that, all the DC Thompson ones, Dandy and the Beano, which is still going, of course, and the Topper and Beezer. I used to love all those. And Oink. I was a big fan of Oink as well. But, uh, yeah, I was quite reluctant to get into the more serious ones. The only ones I did really read were Transformers, the Marvel UK one, and the New Eagle. I used to read that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, there's sort of two ways I basically got into 2000 AD. Uh, When I was very lucky, I had an older brother who'd actually read uh, Star-Lord and had a complete set of Star-Lord in 1978. Right. Which he bequeathed to me very generously, which is very nice. So he wasn't a fan of 2000 AD, so he didn't stick with it. I once it merged in, what well, well, sure, was it, Pog 82 or something like that? He didn't stick with it then, but he, yeah, I had all those old Star-Lords, uh, which is quite a good introduction to it. And also I had a friend moved to school and he had a friend who was basically desperate to get me into it. He was a fan of the comic himself, 2080, and he was always trying to get me to read it. And eventually I caved in, sort of around about uh, 1990, sort of uh, about actually the exact time none of the Necropolis story started. Oh, right. Which is, I think it was about uh, six, seven, two, something like that. I, around about, uh, if I remember correctly, anyway. But I had a nice uh, picture of Judge Dredd. I mean, my friend kept saying to me, you know, you really should read 2080 because, I mean, Strontium Dog, which you used to enjoy in style, I mean, it's still in 2080 and it didn't seem the same. I mean, I was looking at the 2080 with Simon, uh, Simon Harrison, I think, was the illustrator. At that time, he's a very good artist, but it's just so different from the sort of more friendly, yes. yeah, Carlos Esquerra style I was used to. So it was a bit, you know, I kept saying it's not the same. It doesn't seem the same to me. But yeah, eventually I gave in, and I was, you know, I was quite a big fan of the comic. For about five years, I read. Um, I had, I, I got two letters. I'm always proud to say I had two letters published on Fog's Nerve Center. Oh right, <laughs> which when I was about sixteen, and yeah, I was about thirteen by 1990 when I started reading, and I. Yeah, I read throughout most of my late teens and uh, yeah, enjoyed, I was reading other comics by then. Judge Dredd the magazine just got going about then as well. So I was reading that. And yeah, I sort of obviously got over my just wanting to read funny stories all the time. I was happy to read a more serious comic. And I sort of by the mid 90s, I don't know, I was getting distracted by other things. I was leaving school, doing my levels and that sort of thing. It sort of felt like I was growing up. But I mean, actually, Looking back and listening to your podcast quite a bit, I mean, I've quite a lot of people seem, seem to have given up in the sort of mid-90s, given up the comic. Yes, and yes. I, for some reason, I, I thought it was just me getting older, but actually I think I, was, I probably wasn't quite at its peak historically as 2008. I mean, it's a very difficult time for lots of comics, of course. Well, all those comics I've already mentioned, nearly all of the ones I mentioned 
sort of went under in the 1990s, unfortunately. Mm. They're not 2000 AD, fortunately. And not the Beano either, actually. And a few others like Viz and things are still going. But, yeah, it's quite a hard time for comics, obviously. And I, 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 to my regret, I have to admit, I've never quite got back into comics in the same way again. Even, even though I have written about comics since, as I'll probably discuss later, never quite got into the... I'm a, I'm a, I've heard all this stuff about 2080 Big Revival under the new editor. Well, new editor. The editor, uh, Matt Smith, isn't it? In, yes. About the year 2000 itself, funny enough. Yeah, I've heard it's much better since it's improved a lot. I've read the odd story. And I've read, listened to your podcast quite often, so I've uh, heard quite a lot about the new stuff to seen. So I'm sort of hoping, in a way, I might try and get into it again a bit more. But I, I haven't fully got back into it since, I have to admit. Okay. Well, let's go back to the golden age of 2000 AD. Um, we talked about a few possible books that you could discuss on the podcast. We were vaguely thinking about doing some future shocks. And then there was, mm. there was one title which we rather strangely have not covered yet, and that stuck out to you, and we've uh, basically chosen a book. What is the book you've um, picked for the book club today? Yeah, the story is basically uh, Ace Fucking Company. Uh, it's in... Um Volume One. It's the ultimate collection, and uh, yeah, the, yes, it's a trucking company, basically. The classic story. I'd say one of the. I was going to say it's one of the weirdest stories in 2080 history, but maybe that's overstating a bit because there have been some pretty weird stories <laughs> over the years. Yes, but it's yeah, it's still fun. So I'm pleased to be discussing that. Well, we'll do a quick version control. We'll just note the fact that you've got the Hachette Ultimate Collection Volume 1 hardback. That's right. Um, I've been referring to the digital version of the Rebellion Trade Collection, which is, we'll perhaps mention some slightly different stories, but we're going to go with yours as the reference volume. It collects stories from Progs 232 up until about 278. We're in 1981 and 1982. Written by John Wagner and Alan Grant. Art, obviously, by Massimo Ballardinelli, who we're going to be talking about. Letters, Peter Knight, Tony Jacobs, Steve Potter. And, of course, the mighty one himself, Steve McManus, was the editor. And I note, um, I think in Thrill Power Overload and in the back matter for your volume, that he talks about, or he mentions, that this was like his uh, dream lineup at the time. Dread, Nemesis, Rogue Trooper, Strontium Dog, and then Ace Trucking. He felt he was like um, on Cloud Cuckoo Land with that perfect lineup, didn't mm. he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't blame him at all because it does a brilliant lineup. So, when did you discover Ace Trucking? Because obviously, you've come in to 2000 AD after this golden age. Um, when did you go back and find these stories? Hmm. Yes. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention is I did. Um, I only started reading in 1990. I, was, I, was, I grew up in Peterborough in Cambridgeshire, and there was there was um, it's sort of it's not really famous, but there was like a, a comic shop there called House on the Borderlands at the time, which had a very extensive collection of 2008 back issues. Ah. I was very lucky. I really built up my collection over those few years. I was reading it. I had about going back to sort of not quite as far as 1981, where a trucking company started. but sort of the early 80s, definitely, and a few a few from around 1981 as well. And um, also, I should mention, I've looked it up, actually, and um, about the time I started reading the weekly comic, the best of 2018 monthly did have a trucking company appearing as the, the story of the month. It was that, of course, they did old stories and that, they did reprints. And I hadn't come across it at all before that point, and yeah, almost exactly at the same time I started, a yeah, trucking company was focused on, and uh, yeah, I got very into that straight away. I think probably the 
Yeah, well, so I've written it down. Actually, it's like issue 54 or something like that. Yeah, issue 54 in March 1990. Uh, about the time of the copy, it's perhaps a bit earlier, actually, I may have got it before. Right. But, um, and that probably is similar. To, I imagine, no, I don't have the copy to hand. Probably quite similar to the stuff to what's in this, this the book's the versions we have. But, okay. um, yeah, why did I get into it, I suppose? Yes, I mean, what really appealed to me, I mean, it's just, as I've been talking about, I was such a big fan of all the funny stories. Right. And... It, from Wizard and Chips, and yeah, you know, that was my comic background. And 2080, the weekly comic, it was a reasonably serious place at the time I started reading. I mean, Necropolis, obviously, no bar of laughs <laughs> all the way through. And of course, in 1981, when when the original story did start, looking back, it started at the same time as you mentioned as all those great stories. I mean, Judge Red was already going, of course, but the, the Apocalypse War was about to start. It's a brilliant story, of course, and you've covered it in the podcast. And uh, Rogue Trooper and Stuntium Dog, they're all brilliant stories. I wouldn't criticise any of those, but they're all probably quite serious. So I'm sure a striking Commander team must have provided a very welcome balance to all those you know, quite serious stories. I mean, Judge Dredd, obviously, over the years, has had quite a lot of humour in, but yeah, the Apocalypse War itself, that was right. quite a gloomy time, I'd generally say. A bit of black humour in it, but I mean, generally <laughs> quite dark. I'd say you know, nuclear wars, obviously not. Obvious recipe for big comedy, and uh, Sam Slade Robo Hunter, I think, was in round about that time, a little bit later, which is a funny story, of course. And you know, amazingly, I mean, all the Judge Dredd and Robo Hunter, it's amazing how prolific John Wagner and Alan Grant were. I mean, it just amazes me to think they were doing all this stuff at the same time. Judge Dredd, I mean, Robo Hunter, as I say, I mean, the, the new Eagle comic must be on its way at this point because that started in. 1982, and they did quite a lot of that, I think. So it must have been just amazingly prolific. At well, some seen... point, I'm going to sit down and work out exactly how many strips John and Alan were writing at this period in the 80s. <laughs> the, yeah. you know, the, the number of weekly strips they were putting out for a variety of comics is extraordinary. It is extraordinary, right. I mean, I, I'm never quite clear, actually. I mean, John Magnus credited as TB Grover at this point, and I... I'm assuming is that is that why he took on this pseudonym? Is it because he was he didn't want it to be too obvious that he was doing so much, or I don't know. I have heard that that they didn't want people to know the fact that they were writing everything. Um, mm. And yes, this is the time when Alan and John are in that Essex farmhouse, um, yeah. and I gather from the back matter that they would get up in the morning and fire jokes and story ideas at each other for a while before they sat down at their respective typewriters and beavered away. And whoever typed up the script got the credit in the end, I believe. Um, yeah. So that's how it was, this one was created. And, yes, um, I su- suspect we probably should mention John Wagner's um, fascination with CB radio mm. speak because his brother was a very keen CB radio enthusiast, I gather. Yes. Yes, I looked into this. Uh, I must admit... I wasn't, I'm not terribly up on the CB radio craze. It's often referred to about this time. There was, uh, I have seen the film Smoking the Bandit. I've oh, seen, right, yes. I've heard of the film Convoy. I, haven't, I don't think I've seen it. I'm quite a film buff, but I, I seem to miss out that one. But, yeah, there was apparently quite a... Yeah, was, quite a thing, I, I yes. just about couldn't remember 1981, but it was very young. I can't really remember in detail anything about the this craze. But, yeah, they're very... They're inspired by this, the slang, particularly this sort of code, the sort of um, slang that the oh I don't know, that the lorry drivers and things were using to speak to each other. I mean, I think they said they weren't particular fans themselves 
I hadn't seen those particular films themselves, but they were yeah, just from presumably talking to John Wagner's brother. They yeah, yeah it was quite inspired. I think everybody was and, aware of it, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, it, yeah, I mean, there's a key point to mention when you're coming to Ace Trucking Company. That, I mean, just quite a lot of it is, almost seems semi incomprehensible to start with. Because, I mean, Ace Garp, particularly the main character, I'll explain all the characters a bit, but Ace Garp, he does speak almost entirely in this. Uh, it's not. It's not the same slang they would have spoken. It was like a sort of new, new version of that sort of uh, slang, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I think possibly 2080's first example of giving us um, a uh, a new language to learn to actually understand the script. Um, so tell us. You mentioned them already. Tell us about the basic setup and the characters in Ace Trucking Company. Yeah. Happily. Uh, the very first basic premise is very simple. I mean. It basically is just a trucking company. It always sounds. I mean, it's a, a catchphrase is uh, anytime, any space. Is that right? Yeah. I had written it. Yes, right. Very simple thing to remember. But uh, yeah, and they're just basically transporting, as a delivery service, they're just transporting goods across the, the galaxy for whoever will employ them. I mean, the main thing that makes it unusual is the main characters. I mean, it, I've read somewhere, it's very much inspired by the idea. Alan Grant and John Wagner are very keen to do a story with almost no human characters in it at all. A bit like, uh, I think it's probably quite similar to Nemesis the Warlock in that way, which Pat Mills was starting around about this time. I mean, in other ways, not very like it because it's quite, this is a much lighter strip, I think, but more, more sort of humour in this. But yeah, only very few. There's some human characters there, but not a great number. And yeah, all the main characters are aliens or, well, one is the computer as well. So... The main character is Ace Garp himself, uh, who's basically as best described as a sort of pointy-headed, fur-covered, quite slim sort of alien. Uh, I don't know it's even said what planet he's from or anything, as far as I'm aware, his origin's a bit unclear. But he, yeah, and he does, as I say, speak in this quite bizarre, sort of almost incomprehensible uh, slang all the way through, that perhaps discuss a little bit more in a bit. And the other character's and oh, I should say, Ace is very much into uh, get rich quick schemes. I mean, he's always get he runs the sh- he's the sole owner of Ace Trucking Company, and the the ship, the Speedo Ghost, which they travel around on, and he's basically always getting him himself and his crew into lots of misadventures through his uh, attempts to make a fast buck, which usually goes wrong. It does, yes. <laughs> Most of Ace's yeah. schemes go wrong at some point, but of course that is the fun and the the humour that's introduced into these stories, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the second, well, the second character I'm going to mention is uh, GBH, as he's known, uh, which is well, a like He's like basically a he's actually the former member of the Shaka Khan uh, space nomads, and he's the basically the ship's troubleshooter. He's Quite a sight to see. He's quite a. I mean, they're all quite visually they're very good examples of. I see my brother. I don't know. There's a brilliant visual creative creativity because they're all quite a, a striking characters. Hmm. GBH is very. I don't know how to describe. He's very physically large. He's got quite long flowing hair. He's quite a sort of gentle. He seems quite a gentle sort of soul. Really, he seems quite. Despite his name, makes him sound terrifying. He's quite sweet natured. Although at the same time, whenever they need him to get into a fight, he's very formidable. Yes. The other interesting thing about him is, which they emphasise quite a lot early on, is that he considers himself to be dead because he's been expelled from his tribe 
he considers himself to be legally dead, and he often refers to this saying, you know, if I was if I was alive, Ace, I'd certainly advise you to do this and that sort of thing. And it's a bit strange because he obviously does seem to be alive for mm. all intents and purposes. But and the other characters, uh, a Feek, one of my favourites actually, Feek the Geek, very bizarre character to be honest. In some ways, just a very small skeletoid character. I used to think he was a sort of robot, but apparently he isn't. He's just literally just a tiny skeleton. He has. The, <laughs> it does sound strange, and it is. And he walks around. And I should say, Feek wears many different hats. I mean, I don't mean in the sense, usually when you say somebody wears lots of different hats, it means they do lots of different roles in life. But I mean, he does literally wear lots of different hats. He yes. <laughs> has a bowler hat, a top hat, sort of a chef's hat at one point. He speaks in a sort of strange broken English sort of, and giggles a lot, so says tee-hee. And yeah, I always find him a very amusing character. He's perfectly sort of funny. And yes, he's a good character. And also, I should point out he's... If anyone wants to Google the Aztec god of death, they apparently modelled his appearance literally on the Aztec god of death. Which, if you look up, there's stuff, if you look up on Google, he has got a name, but I can't really pronounce it for these. So I'm not going to try to say it. But yeah, if you look up Aztec god of death on Google, there's pictures of little statues very strongly resemble uh, Fika Geek. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> this is quite an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Or you could just look up Fika Geek if you don't know what he looks like. But yeah, I mean, that's no way to... Yeah, it is, and there's definitely a strong resemblance there. You can see what they mean. And uh, the final character is not obvious, but less obvious, but he, well, he's the, the, the computer. Uh, he's on. He's just called Ghost, who runs, operates the ship speed, I guess. He's quite a... There's a he or a she, really. I'm not really clear, actually. But the, the, well, the character is... Um, yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite a fun character, but also quite sort of, a bit more... Does inject a note of sanity in the proceedings because all the others are quite eccentric. And Ghost is always trying to rein Ace in, basically, and saying this is ridiculous. Actually, all the characters do to some extent. They're always trying to rein Ace in because Ace is particularly inclined to stupid schemes. Yes. Which, uh, and the computer's quite wisely, a bit of, you could say a bit of a small sport, but I mean, actually, really being quite sensible, saying, you know, don't do this, it's a bad idea, you're going to end up in prison, you're going to end up being bankrupt. All these things pretty much <laughs> do happen at various times. Yeah. And, yeah, but all in all, it amounts to a very fun strip and one of the, you know, definitely one of the funniest strips in 2018 history, I would say. So I'm going to ask you about its link to British comedy and humour strips in comics in a moment. Um, I'll first of all mention that the collection that you've got goes from the initial story of Ace Trucking Company itself right the way through to the story and includes the story Too Many Bams. Yeah. Um, we noted when we were comparing notes before we recorded that it misses out the Hell's Pocket story, which was illustrated by Ian Gibson, which I've yeah. got in my collection, but they've missed it out for the hashette because I think they wanted to concentrate on the Bellardinelli artwork um, for that. Yeah. Um, out of the stories you've got in the book in front of you, did you have any particular favourites you wanted to pick out? Um, yeah, I mean, there's quite a few good stories here. I mean, it's basically almost ignoring the fact that I haven't got the Hell's Pocket Ian Gibson one to hand, because it's not in the book. Um, it's pretty much the first year of Ace Trucking Company. It's always like a year's worth of Ace, so basically 1981, most of 1982. And the first story, I don't, it didn't really have a name the first story. I think it's just, as you say, an introductory story. Some people, I mean, 
it was a bit of a spoiler, but some people call it the Cleggs. Right. Doesn't become clear until they turn the story there anyway. So, but uh, that's in- I found that quite interesting. I mean, not for always Ace Trucking Company reasons, really, but it's interesting as a crossover with uh, Judge Dredd because uh, the Ace com- basically ends up in one of his, as a result of one of his wild schemes, basically ends up exporting some illegal cargo to a war planet called Rambo, I think. And uh, the it's a while before they realise, but it actually contains a race for the Craigs, which are a race of alien mercenaries, and they're basically transporting them, which is potentially quite problematic, as they're illegal and they're also dangerous. Yes. And, uh, yes, and they've actually appeared in... Yeah, I mean, they're quite keen on doing these sort of crossover stories. But I mean, there's... I mean, uh, the Judge Carroll story, wasn't it? The Day the Lord Died in... That's Dutch right, Britain, that's where they were introduced, Yes. Yes, they were, was, they were basically propping up uh, Judge Cowell's regime in that story, which is obviously a sort of tyranny, and he just introduced these aliens to popping up. But uh, so there's no idea how it connects to the dead. There's no idea. I don't think there's any clue given in the whole race tracking company when it's supposed to be set, or presumably in the future, because there are Earth people in it and they're in space so at some yeah. point. So and in theory, the it's in the same universe somehow as Judge Dredd, because as you say, the Cleggs do appear in the first story, um, much to our delight. And here they are drawn by Massimo Ballardinelli. So fantastic. Yeah. It's particularly amusing uh, towards the end when they are, they're pacified. Uh, uh, there's a certain uh, quantity which is released, which basically new, sort of neuters them of their aggressive tendencies. There's some quite funny scenes with the the uh, clerics just being very peace loving instead of sort of regretting all the fighting they've ever done. That's that's quite some quite amusing bits of that in the story. I and, wonder. Uh, I mean, you may not be familiar with this this character, sensitive Clegg, who's been in recent Judge Dredd stories. But I wonder oh, if okay. sensitive Clegg was exposed to the same trank flakes that these Cleggs oh. are exposed to. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And. Uh, Yes, there's some of, it's quite. I was really stuck reading them again. <laughs> quite how eccentric, quite a few. Is the best way of putting it. Some of the stories are. I mean, they're yes, just, they're just almost occasionally they're a bit hard to follow. I'd say they're hard to sort of, sort of stick with the narrative all the way through. But another story I enjoyed was the very much in the sort of feel of the wacky races, the old uh, Hanna Barbera cartoons. There's the Great Mush Rush. Of course, is, yes. That's um, basically all the. Well, Ace Trucking Company, they, they, they applied, they're very keen to get involved in, there's a contract available, an official contract being issued for mail deliveries, which would be very lucrative. And they get in trouble because they try and bribe an official to get the contract. There's quite a amusing scene early on. It turns out everyone, all of the truckers in the area have all done the same thing. They've all got in trouble for trying to bribe an official for... Uh, uh, to get the contract. So the only way they can resolve the problem is by getting to compete in a big sort of crazy race, a bit like the Wacky Races, or one of those sort of things. And we introduced a few other characters during this, which is quite good fun. There's uh, Captain... F- Actually, I'm not sure it's his first appearance, but he's, he's in it, really. He's, uh, Captain Fatty Arkel. Yes. He comes up a few times in uh, this story. But presumably, the name derived from Fatty Arbuckle, this client, so there's a silent comedian in this signed it's a film star called Fatty Arbuckle, probably. Yeah. The name comes from that, I expect. And uh, Toddy Keegan. And uh, Captain Asaboy uh, Bobe. I think actually meets uh, 
I don't think he needs to that. That's 40 years on, but he is eaten by a sea monster. I mean, he's, they try and warn him. It's not, it's not, it's called the Titan, the sea monster, specifically the Titan of Peem. And the speedo ghost has a very narrow escape, uh, almost getting eaten by the Titan of Peem, which just comes out of the water unexpectedly. And they try and warn, they quite fairly and sportingly try and warn uh, Captain Attaboy Bob. He's skeptical, he thinks they're just trying to warn him off the, off the race, but actually, unfortunately for him, yeah, there was, there's generally is the Titan of Beam is real and he does get him, unfortunately. It's a very nice artwork in that bit. We'll discuss the artwork more later. That's the, yeah, but that one really excelled himself. Yes, absolutely. Those scenes, I think. Yeah. There's a, you know, I, <laughs> there's one story I always can't get into. It's just so bizarre. There's a last lug to Abo Dabo. Which, uh, 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 yeah, I'm not sure I want to go into it. It's like uh, they basically find an abandoned ship and they end up sort of succumbing to, yeah, sort of space madness, basically. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so I enjoyed uh, Jubilee, which sounds very eccentric, but it's basically about the annual Space Truckers Convention. They're pretty much just an excuse for them to have a bit of fun in this one. Well, I think all the stories are basically excuses to have a bit of fun. But uh, this particular one... Right, I'm using a Feek's wife turns up, which is very surprising. Surprising he has a he has a wife uh, he's never been mentioned before. Basically looks the same as Feek, except has a sort of wig on, and she's very angry about where he's been for ten years. Yep. I have to say the there's slight criticism of the story here, I would say, which I hadn't thought about before. I mean it is not perhaps terribly sensitive in his gender politics, thinking about it, because they end up sort of No. <laughs> end up sort of packing but she's basically just well comes across a very nagging, nagging sort of character who's pestering Feek. Feek wants to ace to get rid of her. He needs some sort of deal. Feek, uh, Feek's wife ends up being put in a package and pasted away. It's a bit, yes. Yeah. I was thinking about it, there's not many, there's barely any female characters in the whole story at all, actually. In fact, almost none at all. So if you're going to analyze it from that point of view, probably not the, yeah, probably not the sort of feminist uh, no. example of 2080, but. It was a male-centric um, comic in the early 80s. Yes, that's yeah. true. And, um, again, very bizarre story, really. You know, you're also reading and you're thinking, oh, is this really happening when you're reading it sometimes? Is uh, Too Many Bams, the last story in this... I've missed out one or two here, but the, the last story in the collection here is... Uh, yes, and I had to be reminded... I think I was listening to the Space Blender Space 2000 a podcast, and they reminded me the Bams is actually... Basically, Scottish uh, thing like bam pot. Yeah, for an idiot. <laughs> and uh, American guys on that. Another very enjoyable podcast. Like your is very good, but I mean, this, that's a very good one too. And they were unfamiliar with that, and they had to be told by uh, somebody on the forum. I think that uh, the 2080 forum that, that was a Scottish phrase originally. But I mean, Alan Grant and John Wagner, both of Scottish heritage, I think. So, yeah, I think they put quite a few sort of Scottish type slogans into uh, phrases into the H Tucker's company's sort of uh slang dictionary. Yes. And yeah, but anyway, I'll get to the point. Um yeah, the whole story is quite similar in a way to in some ways, anyway, to the old Star Trek story from the sixties, uh, The Trouble with Tribbles. Because um these characters just keep multiplying. I mean basically the yes, I can't remember how it comes out, but the, the company comes in touch this race, yeah, called the Bams, pretty much, who are just a bit like Mr. Potato Head or something, little heads. 
the wonderful bams just heads with legs and arms yeah that's basically it isn't it yeah i mean the interesting thing is you know, i was listening to space Pinners 2000 again they they put i mean it's quite obvious reading it the the faces of the characters are quite obviously designed on real people yes and mostly i read quite a few 2080 stories i noticed the little familiar bearded figure with a sort of balding bearded figure came up quite a lot in well, that is uh, artwork in quite a few other stories as well, Main, mainly in Ace Trucking Company. And obviously, he's done the little trick, he's modelled it on himself. The character here, uh, Professor Max Challenger, one of the Bams. Yep. Sounds like sort of Arthur Ken Doyle character called, Max, called Professor Challenger, I think it's a bit like that. But obviously, modelled as it turns out on Bernard himself, the great artist. And uh, yeah, I read somewhere, sort of, it's basically quite a few characters. Apparently, the character Miss Frobisher, who's introduced in the story, is uh, modelled on the artist's daughter, yeah. Valentina. John Wagner, the, sorry, the character Charlie, I should say, is modelled on, obviously, the co-writer John Wagner. Another writer, of course, Alan Grant, is the character Dr. Haskins in the story. And they think, they weren't very, sh- they something certainly, but they think the letterer is uh, uh, Steve Potter, Yes. Plays another character, even uh, David, David, the character called Dave Patton, I think. And, oh, another character is uh, a very posh name of another character is one of them, Bernardinelli's wife as well, apparently. Yes, that's right. So it's his wife and daughter, Bernardinelli himself, uh, Wagner Grant and Steve Potter, Letra, who are the initial five, uh, six BAMs. But of course, as you say, BAMs just <laughs> multiply um, yeah. like triples. More and more. Yeah. Yeah, there's more and more of them. I, I, I must say, I don't know who the later ones I'll model them, but they, they do seem like they'd be modelled on somebody as well. Yeah. They look like real caricatures. The BAM That's story just... is hilarious. Uh, yeah, great fun. On on a um, on what's a 2000 AD and Bellardinelli staple, a sort of death planet they end up on where everything's out to kill them. Um, yeah, great stuff. Okay, so that's the stories... So, Chris, I mean, you grew up reading the sort of humour comics um, that you've mentioned, Wizard and Chips, Buster, Oink, and so on. It struck me that they, those British humour comics often had a sort of grotesque, caricaturish art style, um, I suppose, you know, perfected by Leo Baxendale and Ken Reed and the like, do you see Ace Trucking Company as sort of like linked to those British humour comics? Uh, I think I would have to say, yeah, I mean, I think I do in lots of ways. It's not really like anything else in a way. It's strange. It's so that, yeah, it does. It's certainly when I was starting to read 2080 myself, I did feel like it crossed, it's sort of linked, right a link to those. It's all helped help the process of me moving over from those sort of more funny comics. Onto a more serious comic like 2080 because it is a humorous story. Mm. Artwork. I'm not aware that Bernard Lady did any artwork, particularly in those sort of comics. Like he didn't. I don't remember if I, from what I've read, he didn't work for any like Buster or the Beano or anything like that, as far as I know. Obviously, an Italian artist. But I mean, it is. I'd say it does belong to that tradition to some extent. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a noble tradition of funny British comic stories and. Although at the same time, it's not like really like anything else I've ever read anywhere. Yeah, I think it does sort of belong to part of that tradition, yes. And you mentioned, obviously, that, you know, some of the stories that were running in 2018 in the 80s were extremely grim. Obviously, you know, mentioned the Apocalypse War, whenever Death, Judge Death turned up and so on. Mm. 
was, you know, is Ace Trucking Company, as Steve McManus put it, is it the perfect balancing to the equation to give you something a bit more light-hearted in an otherwise very grim and gritty sto- um, comic strip? I think it must have been, in a way, because, I mean, as you say, Judge Dredd, literally when Ace Trucking was starting, I think Judge Dredd was building up to the Apocalypse War just at, at that point. It was a, it was a block mm. mania. So actually people wouldn't reading it wouldn't know necessarily that was about to happen, but Block Mania is about to build up to I mean, it is one of the greatest 2080 stories that have been, I think, the Apocalypse War. But it was, as I say, not very cheery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, millions of characters, you know, probably when you think about it, I, I probably no comic before it had so many characters being killed in it, actually. I mean, millions of people were killed in it. And yes, and Rogue Trooper is obviously quite a Based entirely on a war, a war planet, New Earth. There's obviously not a lot of humour there. Hmm. In fact, uh, uh, almost. I mean, I, I do admire Rogue. Not quite one of my favourites in a way. And perhaps it does. I do find it lacks a little bit of humour occasionally. It could, a bit more humour in that would have, I would have appreciated in some ways. But it is, you know, it is of course one considered one of the great ones. And uh, well, Strontium Dog. I mean, there's all the a fairly. I'm not sure it's exactly the same time, but fairly recently. It'd be one of the best Strontium Dog stories ever, actually. 1981 was, uh, I think, about that time. Anyway, Portrait of a Mutant. With the brilliant... Also sort of very grim story. and gritty. Yeah, with all those... You know, still today, quite resonate, resonate a lot with all the sort of bigotry towards the mutants from the sort of, sort of slightly fascistic leadership of like Nelson Bunker, Creelman, and all those characters. It's, it, yeah, it does resonate today. And, yeah, like, sort of gleamy ways. Maybe we're gleamy ways thinking about it, but yes. But I mean, Ace Trucking. I believe there's no, nothing of that. It's total, literally, just total escapism. Mm. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, it was a welcome relief from all that. And yeah, and again, as I say, although Ace Trucking Company had actually finished by the time I started reading 2080, it was quite a welcome respite. Well, no, I enjoyed reading. I did enjoy reading 2080, but then it's quite a relief. It was quite serious at the time I started reading, I think, as well. Necropolis was in it. What else was in it? Strontium Dog was going his through yeah. for the final solution, which obviously isn't a cheery point in his history. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the Dead Man had been in quite recently, and Chopper had had quite a bad end. I mean, Slain, the Horned God, was around about the time. It was quite a... I mean, that has quite a lot of humour in it, of course, because of Akko, because he was a very funny character, I always thought. But... Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's humour in all the stories, but I mean, yeah, generally speaking, yeah, it's nice to have an out-and-out, well, comic story in, in a comic like that, you know, full comic in the sort of humorous sense. And from what you've read of 2000 AD, is this, um, as you, you described it, is this possibly one of the weirdest or, in fact, the funniest strips that 2000 AD has ever run? It's certainly, <laughs> I certainly must say, but certainly is weird, isn't it? I mean, mm. it is just very strange being... Reading along, you sort of you go along with it to an extent. You think, oh, what is what is actually happening? It's quite. I did find it quite hard actually to put into a narrative what was happening when I was trying to prepare for this uh, talk because I mean, yes, it's just bizarre some of it. I mean, there's stuff about the BAMs, and they they sort of dance around in a weird. I mean, they reproduce as I say, but they reproduce. They do sort of little dance. They sort of dance around faster and faster in a sort of ring of ring of roses type fashion. And, that's how they reproduce, and there's more of them after that. It's quite yeah. unusual, really. And Feek, I mean, Feek the Geek. Dancing around, a, yeah. He's a crazy character. And, uh, yes, I read some of my words 
John Wagner apparently originally envisioned this story as having there's going to be a, a sort of taxi driver traveling around space originally, or but he changed his mind about that and they changed it to this. Yeah, but yeah, so this, uh, yeah, and it is definitely and there's been humor throughout 2080s history. I mean, there's lots of funny Judge Dredd stories. There's what do you think? I mean, there's oh, <laughs> there are lots of funny Judge Dredd stories, and it's I mean, Hudigan's haircut that was fairly soon after I started reading. Come on, it goes back. It's Pog 700, I think I started. Did the Jamie Hewlett. All uh, right. Dominican one. Yes, which will be coming up on the podcast at some point. Ah, that's good. Please to hear it. Yeah, that was a good one. And there's earlier on, there was a similar, similar-ish Peter Milligan story, wasn't there? Um, sooner or later and hmm. Swifty's Return, which is, again, right. Actually, that'll be up there as one of the weirdest ones as well, I'd say. Because that's, uh, yeah, it was Peter Milligan and I think Brendan McCarthy. And that was, a, yeah, another strange one. And, uh, Obviously, I'm assisting so funny, but in Time Flies, the uh, fairly early Garth Ennis one was sort of in the humor, tempting to be, that was about the same time as She's a Good Haircut, I think that appeared. Right. Sort of time travel story, perhaps not the most successful in some ways, but it was quite in a, that was actually quite obviously an addition of old British comics, I'd say, in lots of ways, actually. I quite a, I can't remember the other, it was a Philip Bond, was that, I'm not sure, but yeah. And, okay. um, Big Spartan was another one I enjoyed. That was Peter Milligan again. He, Peter Milligan did quite a lot of the... When, I mean, he did very serious stories as well, but he did do those funny ones as well. Okay. Well, let's turn to the wonderful black and white artwork of Massimo Bellardinelli. Uh, quick biography. 1938 to 2007, uh, born in Rome, um, famously part of the Giolitti um, Italian art studio, uh, and in the 70s, he did lots of British war comics, including some work on Rat Pack and Green's Grudge War, which I think I've covered on another podcast with Conrad. Um, 2000 AD, famously, he did some Dandere, he did Inferno, he did some Flesh, Black Hawk, that strange story, The Dead. When he starts Ace Trucking Company, he's not long finished what up until this point might have been regarded as his best work for 2000 AD in Meltdown Man. So that's not, he's not long come off Meltdown Man before starting on Ace Trucking Company. We know that John and Alan sort of felt that he was particularly suited for it because he was so good at creating crazy aliens and weird spaceships and so on. Um, is this his best work for 2000 AD in Ace Trucking Company? I'd say, with slight hesitation, I'd be very tempted to say yes. My only slight hesitation, I did listen to the podcast about uh, Meltdown Man quite yes. recently. And I, was quite, I haven't read a lot of Meltdown Man, I've only read a few of them. You know, I was quite impressed by how you know, yourself and also the person you Conrad. talked about. Yeah. Oh, Conrad, it was Conrad, wasn't it? They're both, you know, very impressed by the art back then it did sound good and i have to check it out at some point and uh so yes yeah, so I, I can't talk and hesitating to say but actually if i hadn't was aware of that i would definitely say this is a story i, I do think of as the definitive i do think of ace tracking company as a sort of definitive you know massimo bernardinelli story when i think of him i do think of this because i mean there's just so much so pages and pages here Nearly all in black and white. He's one of those artists who might be better in black and white to some extent. I mean, I think some of the stories originally were one or two pages were in the centre pages. So right. some of them may have been in colour, I'm not quite sure which ones those. But 
But generally speaking, he does suit up black and white medium very well. And, you know, it's just my brilliant stuff. I mean, just how prolific he was, as you say, to one thing. Again, Meltdown Man, I think it's nearly a whole year. It's like one of the longest running, perhaps the longest running continuous sort of story in 2080, apart from the trailer, I suppose. But I mean, yes. 50 issues in a row. And almost, almost literally straight off the back of that, he did this, which it's not quite an every issue for a whole year, I don't think, but it was nearly every issue in 1982, I think, and came back in sort of 19, yeah, we, but yeah, there's pages and pages with these crazy aliens of these, uh, it's sort of a thing I always take for granted, just that there's space in the background, but I mean, it must be quite a job. I'm not, I'm not really an artist, but just doing the inking on getting the sort of backgrounds and getting all the space with the stars in the, you know, in the universe. There's a lot of wonderful space scenes with a lot of black on the page and then the sort of various, you know, celestial bodies, stars and planets. And then his wonderful, I mean, we talk about his wacky aliens, but his spaceships and space bases are weird and wonderful as well, aren't they? Yeah, you're quite right. I mean, from the very first page, the very first page of the, uh, I was thinking about round pages, which we'll come to later, but I mean, I was, did actually just consider doing a, a bit of a cop-out and just doing the very first page of the story because it's, it's quite impressive. They had the spaceships in that. Just the very first page of the first yeah. episode. I mean, it's impressive. There's a sun in the background and there's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's the speed, speed of a ghost. Yeah, before you move on to the characters. And actually, introduced to, interesting point. I mean, introduced to Jago Kane, who's the Ace Garp's human rival. Mm. Introduced to him just before, before you meet Ace himself, I just noticed. That's well, I think I had these before, but yeah, I mean, just amazing the artwork of these aliens and space, and the it's just continuously. So, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, definitely, I would say, bearing in mind, I'm not very terribly familiar with Meltdown Man, it will be the definitive Asima Bladnelli strip, as far as I'm concerned, yes. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with you. I think, um, I mean, I love the work, the artwork on Meltdown Man, but I think this surpasses it. Sorry, Conrad. Uh, it is, you know, particularly, as you say, his wonderful character designs, the fact that there's always so much going on in the panel. I mean, we haven't mentioned Ace Garp's um, animated scarf, which is always a wonderful <laughs> detail. Um, Geek and his changing hats. And then those beautiful spaceships that, you know, there's no other word to describe them. They are beautiful. They don't look terribly practical, but they are beautiful. And the space scenes, which are just breathtaking, the amount of detail he puts into the backgrounds. So it is, and it looks, I mean, I've got it all in black and white, and it just looks um, spectacular on the digital page. Uh, as you say, we're going to be struggling with, with uh, grail pages in a moment. Mm. But yeah, so it is. I mean, his artwork is just wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, I just a little bit curious, uh, even to ask. I mean, I've got the Ian Gibson, as we know, a brilliant artist as well. I mean, very brilliant and uh, Haley Jones, of course. But I mean, I haven't actually got his version of the. Uh, I mean, how does that how does that hold up to? You? But I mean, I do always think of Ace. I can't really think of anyone else other than Ace. Uh, sorry, other than Bernard Lady doing Ace Trucking Company. But I mean, I'm just wondering how his. Well, I think that's the problem. I think you can't really have Ace Trucking without Bellardinelli's art. I know in recent years, people like Nick Dyer have done follow-on stories, um, which are great fun. I think the Ian Gibson story, 
Um, it's not my favourite Ian Gibson art. It's not really his sort of great stuff that's going to come a few years later on Halo Jones. So actually, the Ian Gibson episode, which is probably a fill-in story, um, you know, I think you, you're you not really missing much by not having that in your collection. Mm. Bellard and Ellie just sort of bosses it, um, I mm. think, particularly when it comes to Ace Trucking Company. So, yeah. Bellardinelli is the chap for Ace Trucking Company. It's just glorious stuff throughout. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, but I mean, Gibson probably a difficult challenge there. I mean, yeah, but as I said, Bellardinelli done so many weeks in a row, he probably needed a whole day by that point. I they know. Somebody to do it. I know. In the second Hashnet volume, which I've got in front of me, there was one week where Bellardinelli couldn't make the deadline, and his art agent Giolitti fills in in fact i think he might fill in for a couple of weeks but that's in the second volume um and again you know it's just it's a pale imitation of the wonders of bellardinelli yeah Mm. and the reproduction in the hashette volume i mean it's it's you know uh slightly smaller obviously than the 2008 full page but it looks pretty sharp and pretty neat on nice paper doesn't it yeah it looks absolutely lovely to be honest it's just yeah it's very it's the perfect yeah, brilliant volume. I'm very impressed with it, actually. I mean, just page after page of sort of beautiful monochrome Bernard in the artwork. I mean, pretty much as it would have appeared in the comic. I mean, perhaps a bit better. You know, it was just better quality paper, I would think. And occasionally you get these um, little pages separating each each new story. For example, there's a picture of um, sort of like a post, like a star scanner, they used to call them, didn't they? It was sort of mm. a bit like that for each, introducing each new episode. And they're quite good. And well, I should say there's some very nice images of whenever GBH, the character GBH goes into space, he wears a nice spacesuit. And his sort of hair fades <laughs> around in his sort of, it's got like a sort of goldfish bowl type helmet. Yes. And his hair sort of fades around quite a, that's quite, always quite a nice, good sight to see as well. Some of the best yes. hair in the history of 2000 AD sported by GBH. Yeah. True. Yes. Well, let's play the very difficult Grail page game. I know you've picked out a page from the collection. What have you gone for, and why? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you're certainly right to say it was very difficult because it. I mean, I don't want to waffle on too much, but I mean, it was difficult because, in a way, it's just such a consistent standard all the way through. I'd say I don't, I don't yes. sound like too sucking up too much, but I mean, just it all is all very nice all the way through. Actually, I don't think you can go wrong picking a single page. There's no sort of obviously rubbish pages in here. No, not I mean, at all. So, yes, yeah, so I actually picked. The only reason I was just imagining if I did have the original art and I was on, I was putting my wall or something on display. I think I would quite like to have all the characters, the three main characters at least, on, yeah. on view. And actually, looking through, not actually that many pages, but they are all sort of. You'd think they'd be there'd be quite a lot of pages like that, but there's not that many that obviously like that. Yeah. But um, the first, there's no page numbers in my copy, but uh, the first, Lugjack Part Two, which is the second, I didn't actually discuss it, but the second story in the volume. Yeah. Was, uh, the second story by version of the volume is a Lugjack, and the second episode of that story is quite strikingly is quite a nice picture of uh, a very no, you know brilliant picture really of uh, the big three in the middle. There's Ace, sort of very sort of thin and uh, gangly, sort of walking along one side. There's uh, GBH himself, 
So bringing up the centre, looking quite formidable. I think he's holding a gun there as well. He is. And uh, on the other side, they're eccentric, in this case wearing a boiler hat, uh, Feek the Geek. So dancing around. So it's not actually a story. I don't remember being many... I don't think they were in this book, actually, but I don't think it was on the cover very much, Jay Strickland, but I don't remember being a cover story too often. I think it's one of the 2080 annuals does actually have a scarp on the 1986 or something. Like that. I think that sounds right, yeah. one of the annuals, and a scarp does feature along with our characters on that cover. But generally speaking, I don't think there's a lot of covers. So in a way, it's not, he's not that sharpy. There's not like any really obviously... Well, it's sort of two things at the same time, and they are very, all very impressive. But at the same time, there's no sort of very obvious, but uh, standouty, you know, show-offy sort of. But in his, you know, his own quiet way, they're pretty, every every page in here would be fine. I, mean, I could pick the page opposite, just to, just there's good stuff going on there. But look at the next page. Yeah, you know, I could easily pick any of them for the girl page. So, well, it's a reflection of his consistency and his, his real talent. In the title page from Lugjack Part 2, you've got a little bit of Speedo Ghost in the top corner in space. You've got the three main characters chugging it towards you and being pursued by uh, the the various bad guys. I mean, it's just a perfect page. I think that was Prog 244, I'm guessing, page Mm. one of the story in Prog 244. But I'll post the image when it comes out. Of course, you've also got the title logo of Ace Trucking Co., um, any space, any time, lug jack part two. So it's a perfect balance, isn't it? Yeah. If I was, I mean, I'm not cheating. I, that is the one I picked. But um, I mean, a few pages before that, there's this amazing pictures of pretty stories. That's even the, yeah, I think it's lug jack as well. And there's a big iceberg being transported through space. And that's just amazing. That is there's, a glorious piece of Bellardinelli art on that giant iceberg that the Speedo Ghost yeah. is towing through space. Yeah. I'm not sure why I, I could easily have gone for that as well, very easy, because that's just amazing. Also, nice to see on the page opposite to that, but there's um, Ace in Garp's in full song, still singing a crazy song, which uh, <laughs> I think is a bit of John Wagner uh, motif, isn't he? Quite often, there's just he can't resist, songs. can he? He can't resist. <laughs> oh dear. Excellent. Well, we're going to grant you that Grail page virtually and put it in the gallery with your name on it. And oh, I'm just going to very you. quickly take us back to the first story Ace Trucking Company. Uh, itself and I think it's yeah. Prog 236 which is the th- I think the fourth episode of the first story and again I've chosen the title page and I've chosen a wonderful scene of the Speedo Ghost again coming out towards the camera in the top half of the page yeah. you all that space stuff you've got another guy in a crazy little spaceship next to them and then at the bottom of the page I've got Ace and GBH uh, I don't think I've got any feek, sadly, but uh, yeah. Um, again, I'll post that as well. Another wonderful image. But any of the title pages are just glorious, aren't they? Literally, you can't go wrong with, I mean, almost any page. I'm still picking them up, looking through random now. I mean, almost any page in here. It's such a consistent standard from Bernardo. He was great, really. Very distinct artist. Yeah, perfect balance. Space stuff, yeah. ships, weird aliens, and of course the central characters in black and white. Bellardinelli, just a master of this. Uh, yeah, it is all wonderful. We'd have any page out of this collection. Do you have any views on his Bellardinelli? There's some artists people say, for example, Zenith, uh, Steve Yol, when he does Zenith. Some people do say some artists are better in black and white and some are better in colour. I mean, there are examples of, he's checking, I think, in colour. 
particularly in the annuals and things like that. I was wondering if you had any thoughts. Just do you think he's is a better suited, better suited to black and white or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, always black and white. For most of the 2080 artists, I want the stuff in black and white. There's very few where I prefer the coloured versions, maybe Carlos occasionally, although the Carlos pages I own are all black and white. Yeah, I would prefer Bellardinelli in black and white. I do have a page from the Garpet Baggers story, which is right towards the end of the lifespan of Ace Trucking Company. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's got Feet the Geek on it, or Feet the Freak on it, rather. Okay, and I mean, I suppose that begs the question because later on we know that the story, perhaps John and Alan did become a bit bored with the story and some people feel the later stories are not as good. Um, have you read all the rest of it uh, recently at all, Chris? Uh, not that recently, but I have read quite a few of them. I mean, I know there's a bit of history of it. I think uh, yeah, it's from 1984 by that sort of point. There's a particular story where called the Crocoside Trip. Yes. Where they, where they, Ace and Forty succumbs to, well, the dreaded Wuzzles disease that it's referred to, and uh, it's quite a sort of gloomy end to that particular story. I mean, he, he appears to die, which is yeah, it's quite it's a made up disease. It's not like that, but I mean, it's for such a light story, it seems like quite a bit gloomy. He sort of appears to. I think my understanding is the second volume of this this. These uh, this series ends with that story, in fact. It does. The, the second ult- Hachette Ultimate Collection ends with that story, and Matt Smith, in his introduction, very specifically says, I'm choosing to end it there and not really pay any attention to the stories that came afterwards. Yes. So I said, and mildly, although, you know, lots of respect for him, he's a brilliant editor by all accounts. I mean, I sort of mildly disagree with that decision in a way because I, mean, I, did, I did quite enjoy the later ones. I have read quite a few of those ones, the Garfield Baggers, and you know, uh, basically Ace is revived, isn't he? He came back quite soon after he was killed off, and there's some strange explanation. There was two Ace Garps for quite a long time, weren't there? There, there were, sort of yes. strange stories of his, two uh, different Aces. There was his a doppelganger. I mention? Yeah. I don't know. Yes. I quite enjoyed those at the time. Not at the time they came out, but when I read them. And um, yeah, I quite, I mean, I, I'm quite happy seeing the whole lot together, but I can sort of see what he means. I can see why he chose to end it at the same time at that point. I mean, perhaps he just wanted to draw a line under it. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I've heard different reports. on. I've heard some reports saying John Wagner and Alan Gornier, as you say, were sick of the character by then and they wanted to deliberately kill him off. Or I've heard other reports saying they were just testing the water and they wanted to see how popular the character was. So they sort of made it look like he died just to see if they got a a big response and people wanted him to come back. He did come back quite quickly after it was only a few months later the story was revived so yeah. presumably he was quite popular comic book characters who die are never really dead no apart from Uncle <laughs> but, Ben um, yeah but uh, yeah so yeah I quite enjoyed those later ones and I'm quite glad he didn't end up dying as well because I'm a bit of a bit of a gleamy end to hmm. a genuinely cheery strip but uh, yes yeah so I, I haven't read the as you did mention earlier I think the 21st century version that, I mean, sadly, yeah, very sadly, Bernardo is no longer with us, of course. But there was a revived, I think, a one-off, wasn't there, in a winter special a few years ago, a very trucking company. Yeah, and, I think uh, there's been a couple of those. I can't remember offhand at the moment, but I think there has been a couple of those with Nick Dyer art, I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I don't know if I like them as much. 
Okay. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't read them stiff enough. <laughs> if you want a hard copy of Ace Trucking Company, you're going to have to go to the Hachette Ultimate Collection, which are both volumes, I believe, are still available uh, for $9.99 each. The original Rebellion Trade, the sort of phone book sized collections, volumes one and two, are out of print, but you can get them digitally for $9.99 each, and that's what I've got. In your collection, you've got an introduction by Matt Smith and some back matter, which I think is by Stephen Jewell plus some cover images and so on. And it's a nice, nice hardback. They yeah, sit yeah. nicely on the shelf, don't they? Yeah, I, mean, I definitely recommend. I haven't got many of these um, particularly. So I get, yeah, I recommend them to people. Yes, they're very nice. Okay. Great stuff, Chris. Yeah. Well, that's Ace Trucking Company. We've done it. Let's move to guest projects and tell us particularly about your blog and also about your writing for Comic Scene magazine. Yes, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm basically just a freelance writer. I write um, about, you know, I tend to write about old things generally is the best way of putting it. I write about history. I write about old, like Star Trek and Star Wars and anything like that, various magazines. I was very lucky to write a few annuals a few years ago. I wrote, um, actually wrote the Smurfs annual uh, 2014. I actually wrote the whole thing. Oh, right. Okay. Strangely, which is for, for uh, pedigree publishing. And it's basically based on the, the second Smurfs film, which was released around about that time. And yeah, I did a few of that. Like that. I did the Transformers annual twenty, well, the year after that, twenty fourteen, I think, and uh, Furbies, bizarrely, I did the annual for them, which I didn't know much about before, I have to say. And yeah, so I had good fun with that. I was lucky enough. I've never been a really a comic writer myself, unfortunately, but I, I did write one story. I was very lucky to get a story in Jazaz. Ah, yeah, yeah, in issue thirty nine of that, which. I did a Judge Dredd story, I mean, it was all right, but really, artwork is Sinclair Elliott was the artist. I haven't met him, but he's did a brilliant artwork job on my stories. I was very pleased with the Judge Dredd story in, in that particular uh, fanzine. And, uh, but yeah, the main thing I was going to talk about, uh, yeah, I used to write for, I think you've had um, Tony Foster yes. on your podcast before, haven't you, in, a few years ago? He's been on a uh, couple of times, yeah. Yes, and I was uh, lucky enough to make contact with him a few years ago, and I wrote a few stories for the comic scene itself, when it was going over, it's quite often about 2080, about uh, Judge Death, a very particular feature just about him, and um, about, uh, well, about, um, I think I wrote about um, uh, Ron Smith. He unfortunately passed away around about that time, and I wrote a tribute to him for the magazine. Uh, the magazine sort of changed a bit recently. It's, it's, it's taken the form of, uh, it's called The History of Comics. Yes. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I've been very lucky enough to get a few things in those. The first sort of wave, they, they've been releasing them in sort of series of four. Each one folk, and each uh, issue focuses on a different year in comic history, basically. So, uh, so one, like the first four, one of the years was 1977, which of course the year 2008 started. I was lucky enough to get art- basically articles just discussing the foundation of Judge Dredd and the fa- you know start of 2008 in that particular issue, so I was pleased by that. So, yeah, I'd recommend those. They're just full of, I mean, I know it's not a visual medium, but I've got a copy here in the 1977 one. They're just basically lots of nice historical articles about the X-Men, by different people, and um, anything that was happening that year. There's articles about John Wagner there. And, um, yes, and um, yeah, there's quite a few of those issues. I read about Marvel UK's Transformers comic, which I mentioned earlier, I used to read in the 1984 edition of that. And they've done several sort of 
yeah, every so often they release another four. Right. And recently, the most recent ones, which in 1989, there's an issue particularly focusing on the year 1989. I got to mention right about Slaying the Horned Gods, which is, of course, a great story in 2080 history. The 1982 edition of um, uh, the, uh, the magazine uh, focused on Dread's Apocalypse War. Ah, right, yep. They had a great friend writing about that. And um, the start of Warrior comic, which I had a few back issues of, and uh, Marvel Man or Miracle Man, it's probably should refer to it now. Yes. And so I discussed that. So basically, yeah, so if you just want to sort of compare year by year, they're going through all the a century's worth of comics and trying to sort of discuss the main ones and various articles in each issue. And it's quite a good read. And I recommend, I don't think they're available in shops, but you can order them. And uh, yeah, there's, uh, I think there's 12 of them out so far. Some of them have stories, articles by me and some lots of very good ones by other people. So yeah, I'd recommend those. The History of Comics, yeah, 1930 to 2030. Great. And I'm waiting for the, the the most recent four to arrive. I've got the first eight, uh, and I'll look out for your articles when they turn up. I will also link to those in the show notes and to your Zarjaz story as well. Um, oh, thank you. Tell us about, where's your, where can we find your blog, Chris? Yeah, my blog's uh, it's just called chrisharmworldview.com. It's uh, just my name, Chris Harlem, like H-A-L-L-L. <laughs> I'd spell my name then. H A W L A M. Yep. Uh, and then worldview.com. It's basically a mixture of book reviews. Not all is not all of it is about comics, as we said. There's lots of like, mishmash of things in there, but yeah, stuff about recently I've been doing quite a few. I did quite a series of 2080 timelines. I like doing sort of timelines of things. Right. I did uh, a sort of British history of British comics timeline, just you know, 1950, the Eagle comics started. And so details like that, and so 1953, uh, I mean, quite correct, but the Bash Street Kids started in the Bean End, sort of going on like that. And right. uh, for, I did one for year by year ones for 2080 as well. The late 70s and the whole of the 80s and the early 90s. I think they're sort of at the top of my, uh, the most obvious things you can see was up on my blog at the moment. Okay. So yeah, so I do, yeah, I've done quite a bit of writing out of the comics over the years. And yeah, and uh, as I said, I'll make more of an effort perhaps to get into the more recent 2080s because it does sound pretty good by all accounts. Yeah, it's great stuff. Excellent, Chris. Well, thank you so much for giving up your time this afternoon to record about Ace Trekking Co. We've had good fun. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Eamon, for giving me the opportunity to talk about Ace Trekking Company today. I very much enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chris, and thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the details, including links to all of Chris's work at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the 2080 forums, or email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, if you want to come on the show and discuss a book of your own. Uh, So that's it. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and... Uh, Goodbye from me. Wow.